2: Hello and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm very pleased to have with me today the three authors of the recently released book titled Reframing Aid, a Strengths-Based Approach for International Development, published in 2023 by Practical Action Publishing. I have with me today the three authors of it, Karen Winterford, Deborah Rhodes, and Chris Duro. And this is a fascinating book on a lot of levels. It's important to think through how we approach international development and also has a lot of really practical advice for people working in this field and looking to work in this field as well as academics thinking about what international development is, how it approaches all sorts of different concepts. So thank thank you so much all three of you for managing to coordinate this to come tell us about the book.
1: Thank you. Great, thanks so much.
2: No, I'm so so glad we could manage to make this work. Um, Before we dive into the book, though, I'm wondering if maybe you can each introduce yourselves a little bit and then tell us about why you decided to write this and how you all came together to do it. So perhaps starting with the introduction, Karen, would you like to lead off?
1: Yeah, hi, hi everyone. Um, yeah, my name is Karen. Karen Winterford. I work at um, the Institute for Sustainable Futures at the University of Technology Sydney, uh, and I've been working in international development for over twenty years now. And um, yeah, been using a strengths-based approach. So really excited to be um, working with Deborah and Chris on this book and also sharing more about it today.
3: And hello, my name is Deborah. Um, Like Karen, I've got a long career in international development, Um, a bit more than Karen. I've been working over 30 years, uh, mainly in Pacific Island countries, and I've worked in government, in an NGO, and as an independent consultant. Um, I've also taught international development topics at four universities in Australia, and I've worked as a trainer, mainly in the area of cross-cultural understanding, and how it relates to the practice of international development.
4: Hello, and my name is Chris, and I am the elder of the three. I've been working for more than 40 years. In fact, I started in the early 70s. Um, And uh, I am um, now retired, but uh, for me, retirement means also continuing to work without pay. and I have been involved in international development for all that period. And of course that includes lots of training, uh, lots of writing of manuals and, um, and uh, how to do it, and uh, doing designs, implementation, and evaluation. So I've covered the whole spectrum. I've worked uh, both in the Pacific, in Africa, and in many, many countries of Asia.
2: So from those introductions, there's some clear reasons why the three of you would come together, um, but perhaps one of you could tell us a bit about the sort of origin stories of this project and especially deciding to do it as a team.
1: Yeah, great. I'll, I'll speak about our origin story. It's like the, the prequel, isn't it, to the to the sequel, which is the book. Um, so Deborah, Chris and I worked together um, in, in Melbourne, um, in Australia, um, in the early 2000s, and uh How it came to be was that Deborah and I were working on a project in the Pacific, so it was a child um, abuse neglect project. So it was funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs um, um, in Australia and uh, we started using a strengths-based approach in this project. So rather than sort of seeing this situation of of neglect and abuse, we kind of realised that that Pacific Island communities had been bringing up their children thousands of years and so there must be something working and so we used a, a strengths-based approach to um, support conversations in communities about about how families and and um and communities bring up their children and love and care for their children and so Deborah and I started using this approach and we just realized it worked it just it just made such a difference in her how we we're working in um, Fiji in Vanuatu and Samoa and um the office wasn't that big, but we didn't realise that Chris um, Giro, Chris was working um, on the other side of the building and he was managing a project in Indonesia and uh, he was also using a strengths-based approach so in my work we were using um appreciative inquiry and chris was really um getting into assets-based community development and we'll we'll talk about these terms more as we go along um and we came to realize that we were we were both um experimenting with this new approach and so we started to talk with each other and to share more experiences etc and so we all left um that organization. It was called International Development Support Services. It was the consulting arm of Oxfam um, at the time. And so we all left and I, I went off and um, did a PhD and focused on strengths-based approach as Chris and Deborah both Explained, they um, did private consultancy works, um, designed many huge, um, large-scale, multi-year projects in Asia and the Pacific, and also did lots of training, um, etc. And then, um, and we kept in touch, sort of professionally and also um, personally. Um, and then COVID happened, and we realised that we actually had um, time to 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 work on this. We'd been talking about it for a long time, recognizing that we um, we were using a strengths-based approach. We knew it worked. We were using it. We were sort of flying under the radar, but we also knew that lots of other people in the sector were also using it, um, and we realized that there wasn't. Whilst everyone were, like people were talking about it. There wasn't uh, there wasn't anything written about it, so we really thought it's a great opportunity to 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 write the theory, um, to explore some of the um, ways in which it works, um, and also to to. Um, To showcase some of the practice, not just from ourselves, but from lots of other people. So um, that's how it came to be. We had a lot of time in lockdown. And so we started Zoom meetings and we started uh, talking with each other and um, sharing our perspectives and and lessons learned and and started writing the book. So that's how we're here today. Um, What's interesting as well, in terms of um, writing it together, um, as you could hear from the introductions, we have such a, a complement. Um, and so it was really enacting a strengths-based approach by writing the book together, um, recognising that we all had uh, unique um, experiences and perspectives on, on using a strengths-based approach. And so it was really us um, coming together and, and um, collecting those strengths together to,
2: um, to write the book. Thank you for introducing that to us and kind of telling us a bit about the development of it. I think a lot of those aspects really come through reading the book, and I think we're going to pick them up in the conversation going forward. And kind of the obvious place to start, right, is what do you mean by this phrase, strengths-based approach? Um, Can you tell us a bit about it, its components, that sort of thing? Perhaps, Deborah, you'd like to start?
3: Yes, thank you, Miranda. Well, um, as you can imagine, when we set off writing the book, we actually had to spend quite a bit of time talking about uh, what we meant by this approach, because it's written about in lots of different disciplines and different languages, uh, different languages used in different disciplines. So for us, we started describing it as a, a philosophy, so a way of seeing the world, a way of being and doing, as well as a set of very practical methods and tools for engaging with groups of people. Um, In this case, in the international development setting, but of course, in other disciplines, um, the the approach is used with individuals and groups and communities. So for us, the philosophy reflects the fundamental concept that in every context, there are strengths um, that can form the foundation for people, for groups of people, organisations, countries to move forward in a positive direction. So that's the fundamental aspect of it. Um, And the the approach recognises and gives value to these existing strengths um, that are found in every context as a means to generate the kinds of motivation and respect-based collaboration, as well as um, positive sort of self-regard, which are essential for people to be able to, work towards a better future for themselves. So really the approach is a reaction against uh, problem-based thinking or needs-based or weakness-based thinking that, that dominates in many of the disciplines um, that that are found in the international development space. Um, so we, we see it as the opposite of that. Um, and the the approach is made up of um, you can you can cut the, the cake in multiple ways. So, one, one easy way of cutting it is to think about the different methods that um, can be grouped together under the category of the strengths-based approach. Um, and we've mentioned a couple of those in the introduction. So, appreciative in- inquiry is a very common uh, strengths-based method that's used quite widely in The planning of things um, can be used in organisations and in the design of new programs. There's assets-based community development that uh, Chris has used quite widely at the community development level. Um, There are also other tools that are used, um, for example, in evaluation, such as positive deviance um, and and quite a range of other tools. Another way to cut the the cake of strengths-based approach is to think about what are the elements that Make up the use of a strengths-based approach, and in the book we've um, we've included several different ways of doing that, um, and I think we'll touch on some of those different aspects. So you know, some of the elements, of course, include the emphasis on optimistic uh, approaches. So it's, it's it's basically saying that um, people who use these approaches start with an optimistic um, intention. That they are deliberately seeking to to inquire about the positive, um, and and they're focused on really demonstrating the value of what already exists, or or the the assets or highlights of what's happened in any particular context, um, as the way of interacting with other people, um, and as a way of generating the kind of energy and motivation for for change to take place. So. We could go into the the detail of some of those different components later, but but you can see that there's lots of different ways of, of cutting the cake there to describe what's within the the scope of a strengths based approach.
2: Thank you for that, um, Chris. Is there anything you'd like to add?
4: No, uh, that's that's uh, very very comprehensive. Thank you, Deborah. Um, perhaps I could say that. Um, A simply a strength-based approach happens when the change process in any context begins with the discovery of previous successes and current capabilities and focuses on strengths rather than weaknesses. So that's basically summing up what Deborah said in a very, very comprehensive way.
2: Fair enough. Uh, Deborah's definition was incredibly comprehensive. Karen, is there anything you'd like to add before we move on?
1: No, that's fine. I think I will move on. Yeah, that's good.
2: Fair enough. Um, Wonderful. So my next question is, of course, now that we have an understanding of what a strengths-based approach is, can you tell us a bit about how this works kind of practically within the context of international development? So again, some of the terms that Karen's mentioned already, appreciative inquiry, asset-based community development, um, kind of what are these and how do they actually work? Um, Perhaps, Chris, you'd like to start us off?
4: As, that's a, a complex question, but may I start <laughs> by saying that Part C of our book has several chapters that address this question. Uh, there, the reader will find discussions about the use of strengths-based approaches through the whole project cycle, from strategic planning to the evaluation of impact. We also have chapters on that focuses on the various different themes like partnership localization gender inclusion and also sectors like uh, climate change law and justice and various types of service delivery so there's a lot uh that you can find in the book but generally speaking strength-based approaches are in fact used in many contexts in all societies today um strength based approach appreciative inquiry as deborah said is is all about organisational change for business or service sectors and assets-based community development. And the other one, positive deviance, are used for either empowering communities or ensuring that services are better matched to community needs. Um, and our book makes the claim that a uh, strengths-based approach is not new. However, uh, uh, it has been operating in the international context under the radar and it's not the pro, uh the predominant paradigm uh, the predominant paradigm is one of somebody gives and somebody takes uh, whereas um, uh, so in that in that context um uh of somebody giving and somebody, somebody taking our strengths-based approach is sometimes seen as bad aid nonetheless um it is used quite extensively um as the interviews, as the case studies and um, the examples uh, have proved in the book, uh, the ones we've written about. But, however, in in the international development context, all de- international development involves two parties, the donor, let's say, uh, let's call them the donor, and the country receiving assistance. Uh, with a strength-based approach, the focus, wherever it is, whether it's the, it's the Earliest stages of strategic planning or policy making, through to the evaluation stage, um, the strengths based approach uh, asks the question: um, uh, How can the receiving country contribute to their own development aspirations and, um, and goals by drawing on what they already have, their traditional knowledge and wisdom? So if you have a framework that call, that, uh, that's around, if you have a mentality around a strengths-based approach, um, then it, it can be applied in any one of those contexts uh, throughout um, any aspect of international relations and particularly international relations that deal with development. And the role of the donor is not to fulfill others' needs, but to supplement the efforts of local agencies and to learn from the interaction uh, that happens when uh, two countries or two cultures engage with each other. Um, I won't give you examples, uh, we can do that later, but um, there are many, um, many, uh, the, the, it, the case is made very much in the book that. Um, people, uh, in the end, um, say they can do it themselves. And I have heard communities say, say themselves, uh, at last, uh, we do not have to turn to either Australia or Europe for support because we have learnt that we can do it ourselves. And as Lao Tzu says, and we quote Lao Tzu in, in one part of the book, many centuries ago, he said, when the task is done, the people remark, we have done it ourselves. So for me, that... Um, Really is is what we're all on about. Um, what we're hoping to get, isn't it?
2: Thank you for that, um, Karen exactly. or Deborah. Chris. Is there anything you'd like to add?
1: I think that yeah, I think Chris and and Deborah have both sort of talked about it, and it, it's that the positionality of of the the worker in international development. And um, Deborah says. Often, and I think it's a great way to describe it, is that it actually lightens the load for people working in international development. Um, sometimes people get into international development because, you know, um, we want to we want to save the world, you know, and we recognise that there's there's injustice in the world, and and you know it's not fair that. Um, uh, People are born into certain countries and have um, extravagant lives, and and you know, and others are born into countries and 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 lack the opportunity to fulfill, um, you know, fulfill their, their their desires and wishes. And so, in international development, you know, we're working in um, uh, very hard issues around uh, around poverty, about inequality in terms of lack of opportunity, and and the issues are. are are grave and they're real and and our point is not to deny those issues but to say that one way that we can um we, we can work to create change in those situations is to really um work with 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 um, individuals, with communities, with organisation strengths, and we know that in in so many contexts where we work, um, whether it be a refugee camp in in DRC or or a, a fisherman in in the Solomon Islands, they have strengths, they have resources, they have assets that they can use, um, and and working with others, um, you know. As an international development sector, as allies and supporters of those change, change can happen. So it really is about um, enabling us to all bring our own strengths and assets—you know, whatever those unique qualities are—to um, the change agenda.
2: Deborah, is there anything you'd like to add?
3: I, th- I think the one thing that I would add we're going to expand on a little bit later on, I know, but I, um, we know that the international development sector operates fundamentally uh, with partnerships between the donor and the recipient for for want of better language. Um, so it's between two groups of people, two countries or, or two entities and the and often those the relationship between those two parties can be very, Unbalanced in terms of the power, um, and I think the way the strengths based strength-based approach works in the international development sector for me is that it helps to um, more it, it helps to equalise that, that the relationship, the partnership between those two organisations a bit more by giving value to what is valued in the context where the change is expected to happen, um, and it takes. Um, it it takes the power away um, entirely from the donor who's determining what change is going to happen in that context. And for me, the particular aspect um, that appeals is the fact that it is um, much more respectful in a cross-cultural way. So all all of those relationships between um, the the country giving funding and the country receiving funding are are by definition cross-cultural and a strengths-based approach is a much more respectful way to engage between two different cultures because it's it's giving recognition to the to the cultural um, values in, in the context where the change is expected to happen. So that's a key aspect of it for me in the international development context.
2: Mm, yes, very much so thank you for adding that in. Um I want to sort of continue thinking about how this sort of works in practice. And I'd love to ask you to talk about the framework presented in the book um, and the idea of helping us understand how change happens within this strength-based approach. Karen, if you'd like to start us off. We talk about this in Chapter
1: 4 of the book, about um, how change happens through a strength-based approach. And I think it's really important for us to recognize that the difference you know, from uh, the problem-solving needs-based approach. So we're really um, uh, in line, in in lockstep with um, uh, these other methods and practices that we've talked about um, so far around appreciative inquiry or assets-based community development or positive difference, positive deviance that really um, uh, critique uh, that problem-solving needs-based approach and framing um, change in a, in a different way. So, in Chapter Four, we we introduce a framework which builds from uh, some of the work I did in my PhD studies and has been um, informed and, and developed further in conversations with uh, Deborah and Chris. And it's got four interrelated inter- elements. Um, and at the at the foundation is is sort of the values and the beliefs. So you have to recognize the inherent strengths and um, capabilities of individuals of organizations of groups and to really um, value and to assume that there is something working um, well in any context there are strengths or assets in any context and they're the they're the foundation um, for creating change the second element is this purposeful inquiry of strengths. so within a strengths-based approach the, the intention is to is to reveal what is working well, what are the strengths, what are the assets what can we build on um, to to create change and so uh, there's a set of um, uh, mapping exercises for example or um, appreciative uh, questions to really um, um, inform um, understanding of those strengths and what enabled those strengths what what is working well in this context and what enables that situation of working well. So there's this purposeful inquiry uh, to look at strengths. And that's very different to a SWOT analysis, for example, you know, strengths, weakness, opportunity, strengths. Uh, In this instance, it's very much that purposeful inquiry. I'm just focusing on the strengths. And then the third element is focus on the preferred futures. So um, one of the things that you know, the strengths-based approach is really seeking to create change, and it's a, and it's not just a sort of a a change for now, but it's a it's a transformational change. It's a um, systemic change. It's structural change. So it's really um, seeking to um, understand what are the preferred futures, um, what is the vision, what is the dream for an organisation. So. Um, it that sort of ties into futures thinking, like futures thinking or futures scenarios, um, to really advance the, the opportunity and the mindset to think creatively, think differently about how a future um, might work. And that happens by starting with those existing strengths, um, also connecting different strengths. So there might be resources within a certain context that can be um, um, curated and, and um, work together but also um, looking to um, complement those existing strengths and what's working well um, with outside resources as well so that's where the international development kind of connection comes in that that Chris and Deborah have both been walking um, talking about but it's really to say that the 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 the, the the change the change creation starts within and it's and it's the the local actors who are in the driving seat of change and then they determine okay what resources what what external support might we need to support our, ourselves in, in in creating that change and the other element other element of the sort of that change creation is this idea of building or rebuilding relationships so it's really about um, the, the idea that we are stronger together, and so um, connecting the local resources um, in in that particular context, and then working out, okay, well, ha- what other um, support could could come in as well. So I'll just give you an example of that. One of my the work that I did in in Uganda um, one time, where I worked with a community um, to to talk about. You know um, what their preferred future, what what their vision was. We really recognised. Well, they recognised that there was so much work already working in the community. So they had um, really good relationships. Between the teacher, the sub the sub um, national government, they had women's groups, they had farmers' groups, they had all of these different um, stakeholders working in that community. And they were sort of working in isolation. They weren't weren't working together. And so one of the, the, the ways in which that when they, they worked towards thinking about okay, what how do we want this community to be in, in 20 years' time, they, they realized that they could they could combine their resources and combine their, their existence existing um strengths and and combine those together to support change. Um, the fourth element in terms of how change happens is is this idea of um, uh, transforma- transformative and also generative change? So I'll speak to the the, the first one. Transformative change is, is, as I said before, it's it's kind of like a great leap forward. It's not solving a problem of the past, but it's visioning for the future and and that positive, yeah, that sort of like that um, great leap forward. So it's really about um, thinking about the world in a new way and thinking about how things could be differently for for different actors. So it's around that systemic change, transformative change, and also about um, people not holding on to kind of things too tightly because it's a new future so it's really about thinking about okay well what we might disagree on so many things but what can we agree on and what can we um, um, coalesce around to to move into that 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 future and the idea of generative and and Chris talks about this as well in terms of regenerative change is that um, it's in, 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 in international development, we often have a project which is three or five years. And so you say, okay, this is the change I want in five years' time. These are the outcomes or these are the objectives that should be achieved. When we, when we think about um, change in a strengths-based approach, it's, it's much bigger than that. It's bigger than a three-, five-year project. It's about um, the, the types of change which create new change. So this idea of regenerative change um, is is really powerful. So um, another example of my work that I did um, in in Uganda with some communities was that we we created. Um, you know, World Vision at the time created like women's groups, and so the women's groups were doing certain activities um, in their home, and um, and they were coming together to do um, this um, basket weaving they decided to do that, but then they dropped that idea and then they went on to do other things and then they got into um, into the, the poultry business. And so that was the idea of this regenerative change. It wasn't like the one thing that they were doing was going to continue forever, but they they built on those strengths and that experience of that first round of, of, of change activity to take themselves into new and unknown territories. So that idea of like of generative and regenerative change is is really important because it's not about a project and it's not about a project and projectization of change within short time frames, but this idea of creating foundations um for future and unknown (laughs)
3: change. I'll stop there
2: and let's
3: um I think Karen's answered it mostly. I think um, one of the aspects, it's, it's sort of like a, a sub-subset of what Karen mentioned, is the um, the use of particular language, uh, which is an important aspect of change. So, for me, when, when I'm asking somebody, you know, what's your problem, what's your weakness, what's your need, um, that language is very uh, negative, it's very disabling and uh, disorienting, um, disenfranchising, whereas uh, One of the things that I've noticed is when I use language associated with the strengths-based approach, it contributes to change simply by um, enabling people to feel positive about themselves because you're asking, well, what's good? You know, what have you done well before or what's been a great uh, success in the past or what's been a highlight of the current way of of being? So, I think for me, um, consistent with what Karen's mentioned, change happens simply by using positive kind of language as well. So that's another aspect of it.
2: Mm, An important aspect. Chris, is there anything you'd like to add?
4: Uh, Well, uh, uh, um, it's all written in the book. Um, Please read the book and um, you'll find it. But one aspect uh, uh, that Karen mentioned that I'd like to highlight was uh, lasting change starts from within. And um, in that regard, a um, strengths-based approach really s- the starting point is within the context, within the person, within the individual. And it says to the people, um, feel confident and engaged to move forward into the future when you think about the experience the pride you have in the experiences that you've already achieved, the successes that you've already had, and then the abilities that you currently have that you might be able to use to achieve the future that you would like to see.
2: Mm. Thank you for adding that on, both of you. Very comprehensive answer from Karen. And nevertheless, that answer, I think, showcases the beauty of doing it with three of you, because we then get to emphasize and highlight um, additional pieces. Um, So, in fact, I'd love to pick up Sort of off something Deborah just said, uh, this idea that a strengths based approach can help us understand and adapt conceptions of power, especially within sort of traditional lenses of international development. Deborah, that idea of kind of what's your problem kind of gives us a negative idea here and has some implicit things around power as well. So Maybe, Karen, you can start us off talking through kind of this aspect of how the strengths-based approach looks at international development.
1: So in a strengths-based approach, we we assume power exists. Um, So it might be be latent, it might not be expressed, um, but it is there. And so for us, there's sort of three elements to this this idea of power. Um, So as I just said, like the power is capacity. So we assume power um, in individuals, in communities, in organisations, in countries, we recognise that they have, like people have, have power, they have agency, they have abilities. And so part of a strengths-based approach is to really reveal and amplify those. Um, another aspect is the idea of collective power. And so Hannah Arendt talks about this in um, in her work in terms of the, 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 the power of the the people and that 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 when we connect different powers and 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 different strengths and assets and we we bring those together that 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 change can happen. Um, and I've seen that in many communities where I've worked where people may have been thinking that they can't change um state accountability, they can't Change the provision of services, but when they come together, they they can actually um, create that change. And then the the third sort of element is this idea of expanding power. And so this is the idea that you can you can crowd out um, bad performance through. Um, uh, through through creating change and through through expanding the strengths, so one of the examples that I saw years ago in Kenya was you know um, the public uh, the police service were seen as the, one of the most corrupt agencies in the country at the time, and so what they did was that they they um, they tried they sought to tackle um, that corruption in the police by. By really um, elevating those police officers in communities that were doing great jobs, so they had this competition about who's your best police officer, um, and using that, um, revealing those people and and saying, okay, well, this is the kind of future that we want, where we have these good police officers, um, and and seeing that as the norm and seeing that as the new ways of, of behavior and practice and expectations, and so the idea is that that those um, you can expand out, you can crowd out the poor poor performance or you can crowd out the the corruption by creating this expectation and and this um, uh, new relationship of good practice. And so this idea of expanding power and and crowding out um, is really important as well.
2: Got it. Thank you. Chris, do you want to jump in?
4: Uh, yeah, now that idea of crowding out is, works really well in all sorts of communities because in many places uh, there's, there are often um, gatekeepers, landowners or people who have been in a position of power for many, many years and don't want to give it up. But with a strengths-based approach, the rest of the community becomes empowered and the gatekeeper finds that they have lost their power base because there are so many other sources of power around and often retire into the background, realizing they can't actually achieve what they used to achieve. So that uh, relates also to advocacy. In a strengths-based approach, advocacy is not confrontational. It's more like that uh, crowding out and creating a new new society, a new uh, reality. But uh, one other thing I'd like to say too about power is, um, as Deborah has already indicated, when a country identifies a need to a donor, that country implicitly hands over the power to satisfy that need to the donor. And this power relationship that's established in that sort of interaction is a vertical and it's if the donor is on top. It's like the donor is a coat hanger or a hook and the power hangs down from that point of the donor. And the true nature of this vertical and hanging power relationship is revealed when the money dries up at the end of the project. At that point, the whole project power structure around the project goals collapses. While with a strength-based approach, the starting point is the strength and capacities of the local context. Uh, needs are to be addressed locally, starting with local strengths and joining those strengths horizontally, as as um, Karen has so clearly pointed out. So a strength-based approach begins with a strong set of horizontal power relationships and builds from a strong base. And when the donor funds dry up, the foundation and structure of that power remains and continues to thrive. So that's why uh, it's such a different power dynamic within a strength-based approach.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
3: Uh, No, I think Karen and Chris have covered it beautifully.
2: (laughs) They have done quite a good job. Um, However, Deborah, I'd love to ask you to start off for our next question, Uh, again, picking up something you have mentioned earlier, the idea that the strengths-based approach really can respond and adapt to different cultural values. And I thought this was especially interesting because, of course, strengths-based kind of, well, what if different cultures and places have different ideas of what is a strength? right? That's obviously something that has to be um, discussed as well as part of this. So can you tell us about this kind of adaptation to different cultures and how that cross-cultural element works?
3: Yes, I certainly can. So there's two aspects of that. I might start with the one that you picked up on first, which is this concept that um, the approach is about adapting to different cultures. But actually, as Chris mentioned A strengths-based approach starts in the context where the change is going to happen. So there's no adapting that's necessary because the people in that context have the values that underpin their own culture and they themselves determine... What is valued? What is important in their own culture? And it's the outsiders, the the development workers, for example, who who might be coming in. Um, they're the ones who need to be doing the adapting, not not the method, because the method actually um, starts with the people who are in the context. Um, but but I just wanted to to introduce that more by talking about how when I started teaching cross-cultural understanding for international development workers, um, at first my main focus was on trying to explain the cultural values um, that differ between cultures Um, and so I I became uh, more confident in explaining that, you know, talking about how uh, power is understood differently in different cultures and how decisions are made differently for, you know, for example, between uh, more individualist cultures like Australia and more collectivist cultures like most of Asia, Pacific and Africa. And then things like um, the difference between cultures that are very task-oriented, which is where project ideas came from, um, versus cultures which are much more relationship-oriented, where, where harmony between people is, is much more important than getting things done. Um, And then another aspect um, which is commonly found in the cross-cultural space is how the concept of change is understood differently in different cultures. So once I got confident in explaining those differences between cultures, I started to then tackle the idea, well, so what do we do about it once we acknowledge that cultures are different and that values differ between um, usually donor countries and and those countries where where aid programs are implemented? And increasingly I found myself answering with a strengths-based approach is the way to actually implement this understanding because fundamentally a strengths-based approach gives value to what is valued in the culture where you're operating. Um, so, so by asking people in a context, say it's a ministry of finance in, in a country, you know, what's important to you, what what do you value, what is strong, you're revealing um, what is valued as being a good thing in that context, and and sometimes that may be quite different from what may be seen as a good thing in a different cultural context. Um, but it's but but it's the approach that actually reveals that reveals the differences. And if the power is given to the people in the context to determine their own strengths and therefore use that as a foundation for determining their future. Then um, it's the foreigner, the aid worker, the development worker who who is the one who needs to be thinking. Well, you know, h- how do I understand what's going on here? Because this may be different from what may work in my own culture. But this is a different culture, so we have to um, respect uh, what is valued in that in that particular context. And once st- the other aspect about using a strengths-based cross-culturally is that if you're going into a context and saying what's good about this place or this topic or your expertise or what assets do you have, you're automatically generating respect. And when you have respect um, that's generated from that interaction, then you're more likely to have successful collaboration. Uh, between, you know, the partners, whoever it is that's working together and when you have collaboration, you're more likely to have the kind of um, change that is desired um, and so not only is it a very effective way of working but it actually is a respectful way of working and it and it reveals um, to the people involved in the change what is important um, in that context. So, um, and of course, we all know that uh, you know what works in one context isn't going to work in another context. And this strengths-based approach is a way of uh, acknowledging that and, and saying, well, if you know if we're going to work in Fiji now, then you know what's going to work here is going to be different from what's going to work in Papua New Guinea or Indonesia, for example. So um, the strengths-based approach is a way of centering the attention on what is valued in each particular context, and it avoids that use of cookie cutter approaches um, that's commonly, that are commonly used in, in development that we know very rarely work. So for me, that's um, the, the two aspects of, um, of why, a cross, why a strengths-based approach works cross-culturally. Mm.
2: Chris, is there anything you'd like to add?
4: No, that's fantastic. Um, it's really well done. Thank you, Deborah.
2: Karen, anything for you? I think there's just
1: two words that I'd I'd add to that, Um, humility and listening. And so I think it really does um, uh, emphasize for development workers, um, the value of listening. And really um, listening and valuing what's um, important in that local context, whether it's what's working well or the, the preferred change. And also having humility that, as Deborah said, you know, you, you you don't know what's going on in this local context. So you really have to be curious and ask questions and, and be humble and know that you are um, the outsider in that local context.
2: Hmm very important to emphasize. Thank you, Deborah, for that wonderfully comprehensive answer and Karen for adding that piece. Um, I'd love to discuss something that I think has been mentioned a little bit so far, but is such an important part of the book. The practical kind of mechanics I suppose of this the how strength-based approach can be applied to things like program project funding cycles the kind of paperwork side of this perhaps is a slightly unfair way to put it Um, but that side of things how what that looks like in this context Chris maybe you could start us off
4: okay thank you very much Miranda. um yeah as mentioned previously uh this is covered comprehensively in chapters 9 and 10 of our book um and um basically um what we say in that is that uh, it can be used in any context where donors are traditionally involved because fundamentally it's a mindset and if you have that mindset um, the a mindset where the outsider is encouraging the insider, which we traditionally might call the beneficiary, to begin with what they have and they collectively and are able to collectively mobilise um, to achieve their goals. When that mindset is there uh, within any context where international development is taking place, um, the um, the strength based approach can be relevant. However, there are some differences, some big differences. Uh, one is um it at the design stage, the early stages, uh, where traditionally um the donor will ask a consultant to identify a need, and the consultant doesn't really have time to go and consult with the community. It's just based on previous experience, and the consultant will say, This is the need let's give it funding, then the funding starts, then you go to the country or the community. Well, with a strengths-based approach, um, there needs to be upfront funding to engage with the country or the community before the set of actions or projects is designed. Uh, Traditionally, the donors don't like this, but um, really to achieve change, um, this design phase is really... um, is really part of the 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 contribution to change, part of the project, part of the work to be done, and that is where you're having conversations and yarning, as they say in Australia these days, around um, what people want and what uh, how you might fit into their needs and their their requirements, um, and and really about the other thing that's really important, I think, and different is that the the uh, the donor and the donor's employees, the people who run the project, are actually not the managers of the process. They they need to step back and be the facilitators of the process. They need to uh, in doing being a facilitator, they need to be clear that the management of the project is locally run, locally organised. That so the managers are the local communities or the local governments or whatever rather than traditionally speaking um uh you know projects pro, in in my experience uh, a lot of projects are whether they're in education or health uh they are alongside the government they're not um supporting and encouraging the government but they're almost demonstrating this is how you should do it uh once we're finished you go and do it your own you do it the same way and that um really uh, has not been sustainable uh, there Also, in our book, there are 21 uh, full case studies and many examples of how strengths-based approaches have being, being, effectively been used in international development. Um, for example, um, 2,000 communities in Papua New Guinea took control of managing and maintaining their own primary schools uh, using this strengths-based approach because they discovered that they have resources that uh, far outweigh what the government could provide. And how more than 4,000 communities across uh, Eastern Indonesia learn how to work with their local government to both contribute to and better manage service delivery programs in health, water supply, electricity, supporting vulnerable people, and even uh, in education. Um, Another good example is um, humanitarian response to natural disaster. With a strength-based, with a traditional approach, uh, the donor rushes in with all manners of assistance, assuming that those people who are victims of the national disaster, natural disaster, are passive, unable to do anything themselves. Whereas the strength-based approach, and we've used this in earthquakes, and in tsunamis, and other examples, uh, other um, cases, bushfires, the strength-based approach uh, it begins. Uh, begins to work with those most affected by the disaster and starts to encourage them to participate in the rebuilding of their own society uh, with their own available resources, their own um, management uh, capacities because any disaster doesn't destroy uh, the management and, or the governance structure um, of a society. So moving in and saying the governance structure needs to be supported and encouraged the skills, the competencies, the leftover bits and pieces of resources can all be used and that um, um, significantly impacts on the way people um, move uh, through a humanity in response. and response. These are just some examples. I'm sure the others will also provide many examples of how how we need to, um, when we're, we're doing the mechanisms of designing and implementing projects, we're constantly looking for ways in which uh, we can step back and others can manage using their
3: own resources.
2: Mm. Deborah, are there any additional examples you'd like to throw in?
3: Um, I think there's just a couple of small mentions. One is um, uh, what it, one of the discussions we had when we were writing the book is about the idea of whether uh, we should argue that the strengths-based approach should be used right throughout the project cycle, or it can be used as part of a, what some people call a balanced approach. Um, so we we discussed this quite a bit and concluded that really what we recommend is that if you're going to do a design of, a, of an activity using a strengths-based approach, um, you then needed to implement that program and evaluate that program using a strengths-based approach as well. Because if you go in, you know, valuing people's existing resources at the beginning and then come in and describe them as people to be, um, to be fixed or problems to be solved or gaps to be filled, it, it would create a very confusing and unsatisfactory process. So, um, Part of our thinking was that we we recommend that a strengths based approach used right through a, a program cycle. Um, the other the other thing I wanted to mention was that um, uh, when you're actually thinking about how a community exists, it doesn't exist in a project format. It doesn't exist in a in a sector. An organisation doesn't just operate in a sector. It has multiple aspects to it so um, when you think of a strengths-based approach starting with um, the people who are in that context you get a very different result from if you're starting from the analysis of a, of a sector for example like if you're working in a health program um, if you go in with you know a sense of what a health a health system should look like you're going to get a very different um engagement with the people in that health sector from if you're asking the people in that sector to describe their own context. So there's just a couple of other aspects of um, how this applies right across the program cycle or not.
2: Mm. Karen, is there anything you'd like to add?
1: Uh, No, I think that they've done a great job on answering that question. (laughs)
2: They have done. Um, Karen, I'd love to turn to you first for kind of the next piece. Obviously, we've talked about project planning um, and implementation, but there's also, of course, the sort of other end of it, the monitoring, the evaluation, uh, the research on it. How can we think about a strengths-based approach for that aspect of development work?
1: Great, thanks so much. Um, so we've we've in the book in um, chapter ten we we um, labelled the the chapter rethinking monitoring and evaluation and research, and so we really wanted to get people to to think about this um, aspect of international development in a, in a different way. Um, and in the book we we firstly define what monitoring is what evaluation is and what is research and one of the things that we came to to realize as we wrote this book is this this sort of perspe- perspective around prediction and control so it was just as Deborah was describing you know we have this project it's 3 to 5 years and we predict what is going to happen in this project. We predict the outcomes as part of the design and we implement through this control mechanism of of project management. And we, we, we sort of see that as not being relevant anymore. <laughs> I don't think it was ever relevant, but it's particularly not relevant now because there's a recognition that international development is not a simple exercise. Um, and we're dealing in most um, international development um, ac- activities, initiatives, we're dealing with social change. And so it's really quite sort of crazy to think that you could have um, you could predict and control social change because, um, as we described before, when you engage in a change process, you don't necessarily know where that change is going to going to lead to, and so it's really thinking through around around um, uh, strengths based approach more from an action research um, perspective, and also to um, uh, international development is now increasingly described as complex. And so um, now people are talking about this sort of continuum of of initiatives from simple, complicated and and complex. And we define those in the book. And we really recognise that that, um, international development is a a complex agenda and it's it's an agenda where where you engage in one um, change process in part of the system. And then that can lead to other changes that in other parts of the system that you're not necessarily aware about. And so we really question and we want people to rethink this prediction and control perspective um, from international um, development. And so for us, it's really about thinking um, through different ways of thinking of, of, of of sort of recognizing, well, why do we do this? Why do we do monitoring, evaluation? Why do we do research? Um, and we we recognize that ultimately the, the learning should be for the local actors, those um, those um, individuals, organisations, communities, etc., who are at the centre of the change agenda. So if we think about why we're doing this. these these M&E, monitoring and evaluation, we can think, well, for whose purpose is it? Um, And so that really changes the way that we do this work. Um, Also, too, um, with a strengths-based approach, we really question, well, whose knowledge counts? So in international development now, we have international um, consultants who come in and do evaluations or do designs. And they're sort of seen as the objective external expert. But when we when we use this as a strengths-based approach perspective, we recognize that the um, the values and the perspectives in that local context are really important. So it changes that way uh, of, of way in which we, we, we frame the work. Um, and also to another really important part of of thinking about ME from a from a strengths-based perspective is that when and when we ask a question we're engaging in a change process and so if you ask a question like you know what's not working here what's the problem you're actually engaging in a a change process of that person um, you know sort of being angry, blaming, being defensive. Um, it's not a very constructive question to create change. If you ask a question about, well, what's working well here? What's been a, a highlight of your experience in this project? Um, what would you like more in the future? What's your aspirations for the future? What would you like? How would you like the future to be? It's a more um, constructive, um, future-focused um Um, perspective and so it it really um, enables people to to move forward um, as opposed to sitting in the situation of the problem that they're at now so that's really important for us to recognize that the that that m and and research, it's part of the change process. And, and what we've done in international development at the moment is separated it. It's, you know, you do the implementation and then you do these other things on the side. And our perspective is, no, you must think about them as part of the change process. So it really um, does change the way in which you think about the questions that you ask in these processes. Um, there's a second part to that chapter where we talk about, well, how would you do... How would you do monitoring and evaluation of a strengths-based approach? And we, we, we sort of give um, a number of different elements there. We sort of talk about five different perspectives there around um, how to assess a strengths-based uh, um, practice. And again, that idea of thinking about. Um, thinking about that process of being um, integrated and interwoven within the the change process and that change agenda. Also recognising those cycles of learning. So taking on board sort of action research um, perspectives that you might learn and you know, might know about something at this point in time, but that learning should then feed into further rounds of change and then further learnings and further rounds of change. And the third element is around led by locals that is as Deborah said before, it's really valuing the local perspectives and 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 also um, knowing that the the learning is for them in their own um, change perspective, and then also recognizing that that change in international development we work in very short time frames, and so I often say to people, you know, a three to five year project, the community was there before, and the community will be there after, and so it's really recognizing what we. Um, that our our sort of small time in that community or with that organisation or in a in a particular initiative will be very short, and that, that change will be um, continuing beyond the work that we do. So, it's, it's just as what Chris described before, is it being as a foundation for for future change, and, and not recognizing that it's the it's the line in the sand, but that we're Um, The work that we're doing and the learning that we're doing as part of a strengths-based approach is really to support um, change well into the future. Thanks.
2: Chris, is there anything you'd like to add to that wonderful answer?
4: Uh, That's pretty comprehensive, I think. That's really good. Thank you very much, Karen.
3: (laughs) Deborah, what about you? Um, I just wanted to briefly... um mentioned the positive deviance methodology, which is, you know, if somebody says, okay, that sounds all very good, but how do we do it? Um, the positive deviance methodology is, is, is actually really practical and useful and uh, a way of, of uh, um, undertaking monitoring and evaluation in, a, in an international development context using a strengths-based approach. So it's basically the idea of identifying what's, what exceptional positive um, cases there are in a context and then paying a lot of attention to those um, and then spreading the message about that as a way of promoting good practice, which again contributes to what Karen was talking about before in terms of sustainable and generative and transformative change. So
4: that's a practical way of
3: applying it.
4: uh, I just might add one thing about research. One of the people we interviewed in the book is a researcher at the University of um, Canberra uh, in Australia. And um, her key point in using a strength-based approach is that research should be with and for the people that the research is, is, uh, is designed for. Um, and and a strength-based approach is her methodology for making sure the people benefit from that research, rather than it being a academic study that is taken away from the people. And maybe months and months and years later, they might read about it in a book or a magazine. But in in her case, a strength-based approach means that they are learning on in in situ um, learning as the research is being carried out.
2: Hmm. A very important point. Thank you for adding that. Um, as we come towards kind of the big picture, looking at the book overall, um, I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about kind of, I suppose, the critiques of this approach, right? This is in a lot of ways not, as you, so I forget which one of you mentioned at the beginning, sort of this is flying under the radar a little bit. So, how do you all consider and respond to critiques of this um, approach that is kind of not quite the traditional way of doing international development? Um, Deborah, do you want to start off?
3: Yes, thank you, Miranda. So as you can imagine, um, we certainly came across uh, critiques of this approach um, in our in our research and in our writing of the book. Um, we tend to consider the critiques um, respectfully, and we we basically went through what was written about the approach, um, and recognised that for quite a few people, it's quite hard for them to to recognise the strengths in others, um, and you know, my, people who are who were traditionally and professionally. Um, Focused on fixing other people's problems or defining other people's problems, they they naturally would find it quite difficult to to focus on strengths and to let go of their disciplinary control of of the narrative or the of the agenda. And of course, a lot of professional disciplines um, teach people to be experts in how to fix. Other people's problems so it's quite hard for those people to unhook themselves from that disciplinary learning Um, but you know we we all had our own disciplines when we came into the international development space and we um, basically tried the strengths-based approach um, to see what would happen Um, and we you know we jumped into it trust in a trusting way and we actually found the results of uh, what happened so remarkable uh, that we all, you know, all three of us switched to it quite dramatically. So so our response to the people who critique the approach is try it, you know, try the approach, try applying it, trust the process and then watch and watch for the reaction that happens um, in the room when you're using it. Watch for the different... Uh, behaviour that you witness um, in the people that you're working with, in the organisations that you're engaging with. Um, and I think um, you people will find that it that does actually produce a very different result from if you go in there uh, portraying people as, as problems to be fixed. Um, and of course, in the current climate of decolonisation, uh, localisation in the international development space, it actually is the right approach to be using um, so, for the people who want to keep still using a problem-based approach, they're going to quickly find themselves unpopular and unwelcome um, in the countries where, where they want to be uh, implementing programs. So, I think there's a couple of responses there um, to help address the critics.
2: Thank you for that fabulous answer, Deborah. Chris, is there anything you'd like to add?
4: Yes, i, I just like to underlie what uh, Deborah said about trying it. Um, I give an example of uh, a time when we were introducing this approach in Malawi, um, in uh, central Malawi, and uh, the agency had brought along um, their new monitoring and evaluation advisor, who was full of knowledge and expertise, and at the same time, uh, as is usual the case, we, we had members of the community and field officers present in the room. During the course of the presentation and and the explanation, um, the uh, recently appointed monitoring and advisor, uh, monitoring and uh, evaluation advisor, kept protesting, kept saying, "This is just not going to work. This is not right. This is not right." At the end of the course, um, the and after the trials in the communities the community development worker and the community members were so excited and they said, this really is going to work. This is the first time we heard something that's really going to have an impact. And as it went on, the project continued. That monitoring and evaluation advisor at the end of the project went off and did a PhD on the strength-based approach. He had been totally uh, won over by it just by doing it.
2: Wow, what a recommendation. So very much going back to Deborah's idea of just try it and see what happens. Um, Thank you both for sharing that with us. Staying on this idea of the big picture, kind of bringing it all to a close a little bit. If you had to pick one thing that you would recommend or hope those working in international development took from this book or do after reading this book, what might it be? Starting with Karen?
1: Great. I think, um, for me, I think that the one thing would be to be intentional and conscious about the language you use. So really, um, as we say in the book, every time you ask a question, you engage in a change process. And so I think language really matters. And it really matters, particularly in international development, as Deborah was saying, with the the context of power and position and, and positionality. So I, I think, yeah, language really matters um, for individuals, for organizations, and, um, and, to, and to think about how the language you use um, informs the relationships you have in international development. Thanks.
2: Who would like to go next? Maybe Deborah?
3: Thank you, Miranda. Um, yes, I think the thing that I would hope people would take away from reading the book is the need for them to find a good balance between being humble about their role in contributing to a better world um, while becoming expert in the process of supporting others to determine and and to achieve their own change priorities. Um, Because I think for me, uh, you know, I spent nearly 40 years um, trying to, Realising that this getting that balance right is really really critical, and and for me the strengths based approach, which I've used for half of my career now, is is the means to to bring about that kind of healthy balance between humility and um, expertise as a facilitator.
2: Hmm. Chris,
4: uh, yes, I mean people who read this, whether they're teachers or donors or designers, we hope uh, might realise that a changed mindset towards recognizing and respecting the capacity of developing countries and communities to manage and resource their own development goals would be what we'd hope to achieve Uh, and our role is to encourage them um, through writing this book to do so and learn with them the best way to do this so the final point would be to say that uh, we also just sort of uh, emphasize this throughout the, um, the discussions about writing this book that uh, today learning is for everybody uh, we are learning to be living together in a global world and we the developing nations need to learn just as much and to learn exactly from those people who are engaged in in the what we so call developing communities
2: mm. thank you each for answering what you hope other people will do after reading the book. and That leads me to my final question of what are you each going to do now that the book is out there and people can read it, sort of what's next, whether or not that's a book, whether or not that's on this exact topic. Um, Chris, can I go to you first?
4: Well, I think this book for me is a really exciting moment. Uh, It turns from the doer, to the i suppose the apostle of the approach really there are many opportunities that i might look towards now we're thinking of further podcasts we're thinking of other opportunities to be able to to portray this message to a wider audience and to, to encourage and support them to be thinking more deeply about this approach um the uh The Australian government has just released its um, international development policy strategy framework for the next future. And in that, there are clear signs that they are moving towards the appreciation of their partners, the partners' um, strengths, and respecting those partners. And so I'm looking forward to um, encouraging and supporting um, people to The book is done, but the work to be able to promote and encourage people to think about it is yet to be done.
2: Deborah, perhaps you can share yours next?
3: Um, Yes, well, I I will continue to um, focus my attention on supporting um, mainly Australian organisations to engage in more culturally respectful uh, partnerships in their international development practice. But um, I'm now going to be much more confident in uh, incorporating the strengths based approach into that work. And interestingly, the day after we launched the book in Melbourne, just a few days ago, um, I had two requests from programs in Timor Leste and Papua New Guinea to talk about the strengths based approach um, for programs that. Could be quite far-reaching, you know, large programs, that, multi-sectoral, multi-partnership kind of programs. So I think um, that it's quite exciting. Like Chris mentioned, that the potential for for these ideas to to be spread quite far and wide, and and to have a, a far-reaching uh, contribution to, to the sector. So I'm quite excited about that.
2: That is exciting. Thank you for sharing. Um, last but very much not least, Karen?
1: Uh, great. Well, I think in the book we 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 have the aspiration and the the call to action for a paradigm shift. So for us, it's really about um, thinking about the international development in a different way, and as Deborah and Chris described, doing it differently. Um, we have had um, interest in um, course development. Um, f- Uh, related to this this book and so we're really excited about doing that and all three of us have had experience in in training um on a strengths-based approach so we're we're really excited about that and for me um in my work at the institute for sustainable futures um here in Sydney, it's about putting this into practice in our in our research partnerships as well. So we do a lot of work with local researchers, local academics, local consultants, and also um, civil society organisations. And so, um, working in a way that really um, uh, motivates and um, strengthens people's um, capacity in whatever aspect that they do in international development um, is part of my goal as well and to really um, strengthen everyone's um, skills and competencies and to achieve what the the change that they want to achieve um, within the within the sector so yeah very excited thank you
2: I love how this is sort of in one sense is a huge step, but also kind of in some ways a first step, that there's so much more to come from this. Um, so listeners, if you obviously want to get involved, uh, the all three authors are doing very cool stuff. And of course, you can read the book that we've been discussing titled Reframing Aid, a Strengths-Based Approach for International Development, just published by Practical Action Publishing. Thank you so much to all three of you for joining us on the podcast to tell us about this wonderful things in the book.
4: Thank you. It's a very pleasure.
3: Thank you for having us.
1: Great. Thanks so much, Miranda.